start the week with Tim and Damo on the Unmade Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Damien Francis. And I'm Tim Burrows. Today, the media gets ready for the most watched TV event in history. The verdict on Nine's 2023 slate. And why now is the time to ask for a big pay rise. Unmade. Good morning, Damien. Kind of unusual week this week, isn't it? But let's, before we get to that, how was your weekend? You're, you're, I have to say you're sounding just like you might be a little bit full of cold. <laughs> uh, it is going to be an unusual week this week, Tim. And yes, you are very perceptive indeed. I, I think you jinxed me last week when you mentioned on the podcast that I was having a day off rather than in any sort of medical emergency. But um, I, I have the croaky voice. I, I've held this cold dearly to my heart for the last two and a half weeks. Um, and I don't think there's any signs of it leaving. But uh, aside from that, it was a good weekend. The sun's out, so I'm trying to get as much vitamin D as I, I possibly can. But how was your weekend? Yeah, not too bad. I, I, I spent a chunk of it on the road within uh, within Tasmania, back and forth between Sisters Beach and uh, beautiful Evandale and dinner in Launceston. And that was after a... Uh, at uh, the end of a hectic week running around in Sydney. So, uh, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to a, a week of being uh, basically in one place all week. So that should be a, a, a little calmer and save enormously on fuel costs. Fuel costs, aeroplane ticket costs, it'll be much better for the environment as well. <laughs> right. Well, let's get into it. Where shall we start this week? Well, I think there's only one place to start this week, Tim. As we said in the introduction, a, a big week ahead of us, particularly in the TV landscape. It's Monday morning at the moment, and we're bracing ourselves for what could be uh, the biggest uh, moment in TV history in terms of the audience uh, numbers tonight, Tim. Yeah, the, the, the sheer number of articles that have a headline along the lines of the Queen's funeral may be the most watched event in history – um, just, 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 just that, sh- that number in itself, um, suggests that, uh, there's certainly an expectation there. So, uh, of course the, the, the major difference, I suppose, in, in royal events since the last one, which was perhaps Princess Diana's funeral is how much easier it is to stream wherever you are in the world and whatever you're doing. So, um, the guess at the time was maybe, two billion viewers for princess diana's funeral more for the queen um uh funeral uh in during monday during the day uk time which is is pretty much prime time in australia so i've got in front of me the the abc's guide to the timings and of course there are plenty of others um which which really begins to get going about um for for the east coast australia um about quarter to eight in the evening as the Queen's coffin leaves Westminster Hall um, on to kind of 8pm for the funeral service beginning. So so it will obviously create huge viewing, not least because viewers won't have many choices, you know, with the, with the exception of 10, all of the, all of the networks are, are, are putting their primary channels to, uh, to, to, to airing it, which I think may mean that no single channel has a massive rating because of course that viewing will be fragmented across uh various channels and for 
a lot of uh, you know a lot of that funeral itself this will be pulled footage so effectively everybody will be watching exactly the same pictures coming from you know a single feed so yes you know it is quite strange to think we will you know perhaps for the last time have most of the world watching the very same thing at the very same moment yeah, it's an interesting point you bring up there because a lot of the coverage that we've seen this morning and over the weekend about how big this could be for TV also centred around the fact that uh, this is the first time we've had such a significant event where social media is a massive, massive thing. But uh, in uh, in the SMH and Age and, and the, the nine newspapers, WA Today as well, there was stats on the amount of uh, journalists that the, the TV uh, networks it's sent across. Uh, nine has sent 40 staff, the ABC 27. Uh, 10 has sent across a team of 17. Uh, apparently Sky and 7 declined to disclose the amount of staff. But to your point before, uh, how do the networks try and, and gain a, a bigger share out of uh, the, the audience? Is that even possible? Uh, are we just now going off perhaps the, the groundwork they've laid you know, through the year, you know, that's been in terms of whoever's popular at the moment, uh, ratings-wise, nine and seven perhaps, will gain the lion's share of the audience. Will people default maybe to, to ABC for, for something like this? Look, I think, you know, the you, you, you write everything up to this point, so it's trust. You know, that I think that's why we still often see when there's a, a big event, whether it's something like COVID, for instance, ABC audiences increased, you know, that was when sort of ABC News Breakfast, you know, really kind of had a bit of a, a bit of a boom in its audience, because of course, it's not so much how you promote it on the day, it's whether you've created the perception in viewers' minds in the years previously that you can be trusted for news, you know, that... That, I suspect, is one of the reasons why 10 isn't even going to be trying on its main channel is because over the years it's chosen not to invest in its news resource compared to the others. So, you know, it will be an unusual viewer who turned to 10 first when they want to, you know, understand that take on, on, on news, whereas, yes, the ABC, but also 9, also 7 invest heavily in their news brands so that um, they've got the credibility to bring in audiences on a day like this. Uh, And you mentioned Network 10 just briefly then as well. The Amazing Race will be on the primary channel. What chance of them picking up any sort of audience tonight? I mean, that'll be really interesting because offering an alternative you know, that, that sort of makes sense, um, you know, because you always get people sort of, you know, moaning about, well, there's, you know, why is everybody showing this? And, of course, there are alternatives, you know. The streaming services will still be operating. Um, but, um, but yeah, so I I think we will learn a little bit of something um, because, there, you know, there, there, there will be people who just decide it's not for them and that might be where they end up. So, yeah, I'll be looking at the ratings with some interest tomorrow morning. Now, speaking of learning something, another one of the big news pieces in the TV landscape was, of course, the nine upfronts, which took place last week. Tim, you flew up to Sydney to attend the upfronts. Uh, You also wrote a post about it in Unmade last week, Uh, and I'll recall the title here, A Dozen Iterations 
no revolutions, perhaps a good place to start is your overall opinion of how that night went. Do you know the first thing I found myself thinking about? Um, so it was it, it was at Luna Park uh, in the Big Top, which is one of those few places in Sydney where you can can get more than a thousand people into to one room and sit them down in any form of of comfort. And I I, I found myself thinking sort of in in, in the minutes before it started. Uh, but by which point I'd, I'd had a chance to see under embargo some of the announcements, so I knew roughly what was coming. How different it would have been if those few days before nine had actually succeeded in winning some of the AFL rights. So it did feel somewhat like we had a bit of a binary moment where they potentially had a, you know, a, a big thing to be talking about or not. And the answer was not. So, so I think that's why, why, yeah, it struck me that the whole thing was about iterations. There was, there was no big shift in certainly no big shift in programming strategy. Um, you know, if there was any shift at all, it was announcing less big commissions than usual. Um, you know, in terms of streaming strategy and the technology behind it, again, there was nothing particularly new. It was just, it it, it was a whole bunch of tweaks, um, which of course then relies on um, putting on a big show for the audience which is which is what it was it was it, it was really well done it was among the best produced upfronts i've seen you know there were you know there there were the you know the usual flashing lights and big screen you know there were you know there were dancers there was dry ice or whatever the modern version of smoke machines is is it still dry ice i don't know i'm pretty sure it is yeah i'm yeah. not up with my smoke machine technology but i think it is yeah you know there was the kind of the flamethrowers and stuff so the sizzle the sizzle was there um you know and, and at least purpose you know some of the purpose is to remind the people who are buying advertising who are broadly the people in the room that this is a big outfit a multi-platform outfit so it was you know it was it you know it was really showcasing the news division as well um but yeah uh, uh, but at the same time there was no one blockbuster announcement you know that interests me actually because you mentioned the sizzle and you mentioned in the piece as well uh, how crowded uh, it was uh, with your count perhaps uh, a fair way north of a, a thousand people there but uh Let's talk about the tentpole programs or, or perhaps the lack thereof tentpole programs. You know, there was the announcement of the, the Shane Warne biopic, the block returning, a, a Gordon Ramsay show which didn't uh, provide much insight into what that was really going to be like. Is that enough to keep Nine in the position that it's in? Um, I suppose one of the things is... It, it almost felt like it was an upfront for the next quarter and then the first half maybe of next year because, you know, nine, nine went a bit, a little bit earlier than usual. They were first of the three major networks. Um, you know, as you say, you know, warning, but no details of who was cast in it. The block normally find out what the format is. There was none of that. The, you know, usually, and I'm sure it will happen for the seven upfronts and the 10 upfronts on screen is, is the grid that sort of layout of when the mate across the year the major shows are going to be placed? So that so that wasn't there. Um, but enough. I mean, you know, nine certainly commercially is 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 the leader, um, and certainly when you talk about it as a multi-platform company, as Australia's, you know, um, 
biggest ASX listed media company. Um, so it's it, it, you, you're trying to do a different thing. So so yeah, look, I, I reckon they'll probably look look back. Well, in fact, I'm sure they'll look back and quite justifiably feel they did. Um, yeah, they they they, they 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 had a win, they had a success. So yeah, probably enough. And now you mentioned as well the the news and the journalists uh, taking the stage, which uh, was a bit different for Nine as well, really leveraging the the publishing arm uh, of Nine. Uh, did that add anything to the upfronts? Was that an important piece of the puzzle now to, to treat Nine as a as a whole and you know acknowledging the the, the old Fairfax as it was? Yeah, and I I suppose one of the three reasons it may have been more noticeable is although Nine carried on doing upfront streams through the pandemic, this was the first time, you know, since three years ago that there'd been a live in-person event. And, you know, remember the merger between Nine and Fairfax was only in 2018. So the sort of the first upfronts after that was very young. So it was, you know, and, and, you know, there'd been a lot of momentum between the upfronts juggernaut of being a TV thing. So this was the first time in front of an audience that it really felt truly that this, this was this integrated offer, which, um, which, yeah, which, which, which did help. Um, Hey, look, you know, I, I almost the very first face you saw in the first sizzle reel was Kate McClymont, uh, investigative journalist who was published across the newspapers, but based within the Sydney morning Herald newsroom. Um, so yeah, there was there, there was a there was a real emphasis on it. You were seeing you know that division quite well um, promoted as well, which you know perhaps also recognises the fact that it's seen a lot of commercial growth. You know, thanks to the Google and Facebook money, um, that was the division that that saw the biggest uh, percentage growth in profits in the year just gone. So you know you probably should put them on stage. I've got to say, her, her podcast with Tom Steinfurt, Liar Liar, was uh, fantastic listening. Uh, one of the interesting things in the Nine Upfronts as well was a bit of uh, a, a drive towards purpose. Uh, now, Nine uh, released a new statement uh, of purpose. I'll just quickly recap that now, which uh, was, uh, we shape culture by sparking conversations, challenging perspectives, and entertaining our communities. We bring to we bring people together by celebrating the big occasions and connecting the everyday moments. Australia belongs here. Your thoughts, Tim, on this new purpose? Look, the final line in particular, Australia belongs here. We saw that repeatedly through the presentation, or sort of versions of it. News belongs here. Sport belongs here. So I, 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 I did think it was. It was interesting. It made sense. It definitely, you know, moved nine along to being feeling slightly more sort of progressive and inclusive as a company, which is clearly what it's it's trying to do. Is it recognises that you know Australia no longer has a monocultural audience? Um, what wasn't entirely clear to me is how much this was a position for internally and for the industry versus for consumers. And I, so I asked the question afterwards and, and, and got the answer back that, that for now, this isn't, you know, this isn't its public positioning. So it's not as if we're going to um, necessarily, uh, it used to be that still the one was the kind of public positioning. So we're not necessarily going to um, see that just yet, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if if it does go there because it feels like it's got 
think it's probably got some legs and i'm i'm always a little bit nervous to to talk about that because um you know it's it's very easy to commentate on marketing marketing without being a marketer um but yeah look it definitely it definitely felt like something which um probably encapsulate quite nicely where nine wants to go so at the moment australia belongs here is not the one Sorry, I, I had to. I had to drop that in. <laughs> Moving <laughs> swiftly along, um, which is actually a good segue into the next uh, piece, uh, fast TV, Tim, and uh, your thoughts in uh, the post you did on Unmade. Uh, is that nine is in fact not very fast in moving towards fast TV? So fast, all in caps, stands for free ad supported television. It's a it, you know it's a, it, it's another sort of I guess piece of industry jargon to go with you know AVOD and BVOD and so on. And we so need this, more of it. And we need more of it. So this one, I I think the phrase actually was, if not invented, then certainly championed by Bob Backish, who's now boss of Paramount Global. Um, and it, it was a phrase he started talking about a couple of years back when um, uh, Paramount's uh, Pluto TV service began to take off. So this is different to other types of ad-supported streaming in that, that it's, it's channel-based. It's the idea of you just happen to, uh, as a viewer, drop into the, I don't know, user seven example, the home and away channel, and it's already streaming, and you might be halfway through an episode or whatever it is, but it's, you know, it, it's live in quote marks because not obviously live live but it's where the viewer isn't making the programming choice it's being chosen for them so we're seeing fast channels already beginning to boom in the us um as i say i I, you know I, i think there's a fair bit of evidence that pluto tv is the market leader in in the us um big product um in the uk as well you know where it where it launched a few months back um you know and of course you can keep you know rolling out the number of channels and it works very well on connected tvs as well as you know on 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 devices so i think there's a fair bit of expectation that we'll we'll get some sort of timeline from 10 locally on when pluto tv launches and it you know the instinct is because it's paramount owner of 10 has such a um a, a, a lead globally thanks to owning pluto that that should make the big splash so my my suspicion was that that may have been one of the reasons why nine had a bit to say about it was um to try and just you know grab a tiny bit of the oxygen on fast um you know not least because Actually, seven was first to market because seven already already has um, you know a, a whole bunch of channels doing this you know sort of themed around you know cop dramas or whatever blue light TV and so on. Um, so blue lights, I think it's called the blue lights channel. Um, you know they've got a medical and rescue channel, border security channel. Um, so actually, it, it it was actually almost odd that they did make the reference. Um, and this was, it was the first time on stage um, at the upfronts for Rebecca Hagsmar, who recently joined in a kind of um, chief product role, um, former 9MSN executive coming back. Yet there was not even a kind of screenshot of a navigation for the, for the fast channels on the screen. So, so yeah, it certainly felt to me like, um, uh, you know, th- that that's a product that they're not quite ready to go on yet. Um 
so it's going to be really interesting, you know, once we hear a bit more news about Pluto, A, whether it really is a battleground, but B, how long it actually does take nine to then properly join the party. Okay, we're going to move on from up front pretty quickly, but I will humour you just uh, just briefly, Tim, before we do. You're going to get a local news bulletin from Nine in Tasmania, thanks to Win. Yeah, look, this is going to be a, a, a strange adjustment for Tasmanian viewers because we've got quite used to hearing the Melbourne news if one tunes into to Nine at six pm. So Peter Hitchner. We're, we're kind of going to miss, although that said, because Seven's, um, Seven, Seven Regional, Seven Tasmania has had a local bulletin for so long. Um, so that's just dominated the ratings in uh, the, 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 the local 6 p.m. ratings in Tasmania. So, um, you know, that that will be the one that Nine is trying to kind of displace. And of course, you know, the, it's, it's a historical reason. It's to do with... Um, the affiliate arrangements and the fact that until very recently you really had Metro players and regional players, but finally they're moving towards a more national offering that they're beginning to get in the game. Okay. Moving on to last week's ratings, Tim, and uh, it really wasn't uh, that surprising. If we have a look at uh, the big, the big shows and the channels that were out in front. I think we can probably cover this one off um fairly quickly really in the you know the 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 story and this is this is at least the third week running this has been the story nine winning the front end of the week seven winning the back end of the week nine driven by the power of the block seven driven by the power of AFL finals which gradually has become more of a sort of you know national story as as you know people on the east coast become slightly more interested for the for the final few weeks of the contest um and then and i suppose the other thing that comes through is which which you know underlines why paramount's um uh, local channel 10 was so interested in getting some afl um 10's share on a saturday tends to hover around for the primary channel now about five percent it's just not competitive at all on a Saturday. Um, so that, you know, that's a bit of a question mark and theme going forward. So, hey, look, you know, in a few weeks' time when 10 do their upfronts, I'd love to know if they've got an answer to their Saturday problem. And speaking of the AFL, Tim, uh, we've uh, had a few stories in different media this morning uh, about why the, the big cheese uh, at seven and the AFL will be quite happy with how things have turned out. Well, look, it's, you know, we, the thing about AFL is it's not really a Sydney sport. Um, you know, the, the, the East coast of Australia is obviously far more about NRL, which is always this kind of quirk that nine leans into NRL down the East coast. Um, obviously AFL and seven is big in Perth, big in Melbourne, in Tasmania where I was um uh, so you kind of you have you have this two speed thing but the one thing to pray for if you're a seven executive or AFL executive is a Sydney team in the final which they have the Swans have the Swans have gone through Sydney Swans they beat Collingwood so that probably bodes quite well for um a big audience for Saturday, along with the fact that it was it's been a really good final season as well. So I think we can probably estimate um Saturday afternoon uh being a pretty big ratings week. 
Look, I've got to admit that I, I'm not a massive AFL fan. I, I, I am intrigued by the sport, but I find it quite uh, fascinating that the, the two biggest TV audiences uh, for the, the finals were the 2005 and 2006 deciders, which uh, didn't include a Victorian-based team, which was uh, which is interesting. So perhaps quite a lucrative uh, finals coming up. We're going to round out the TV conversation uh, with one more point, uh, which has been covered uh, again across different media uh, this morning uh, around the Alston determination. Now, this was a an interesting one for me, Tim, in, in terms of having a look at it. I wasn't quite on, on top of uh, how this whole played out it's it's a, a, a little bit complex this one no, but come it goes, on, admit it have you ever even heard of the Alston determination before today I'm, I'm gonna be up front I have not the Alston <laughs> determination I've too much time spent on anti-siphoning without going into the the real weeds of it Tim worst foxtail drama ever the Alston <laughs> determination I'm, no I must admit I haven't either until I read about it today so this is it looks like it's probably a little drop from the uh uh, from the Department of Communications, because a very similar story appears in both the, the AFR today and the, the Australian. So this was um, named for uh, a former federal minister, the Alston Determination, which basically um, says to the broadcasters, you're not really broadcasting if you're streaming, so you can um, operate under a slightly different set of regulations. Um, so this is... It's, it, for now, I suppose it's a little bit of um, uh, paperwork for things like Nine Now, Seven Plus, Ten Play. But what it nods towards is we're once again pushing the can down the road because this is a, it's, it's been renewed for a few years because there's a wider review going on of the media legal landscape um, and. We, you know, we're at the position where um, communications minister Michelle Rowland, fairly newly in the role, isn't ready to start legislating yet. Um, so, you know, we've got that, you know, the, possibly for good reasons this time, but it is that ongoing theme of mainly what communications ministers do is they kick the can down the road. And that seems to be what we've done once again. And look, for the, for the pub trivia players out there, that was uh, Communications Minister Richard Alston in 2000, if you happen to get that one on a, a Tuesday night. But moving along, we'll get to our next topic because coming up next, time to grab that pay rise? I think it might be. Unmade. Tim, over the weekend, you wrote a, a fascinating piece in Best of the Week. If you haven't read it, I do suggest you go to Unmade to have a look. It was around Holdco vacancies and an alarming amount of vacancies still around now, which uh, perhaps is a little bit intriguing considering the position economically that we find ourselves in now. Yeah, look at it. And I know this is something everyone's been talking about for a while, just the, the difficulty in, in, in hiring people. Um, and I suppose the th- one of the things that inspired me to take a look at it this weekend was, you know, as you say, I was in, in Sydney for the upfronts and I obviously, you know, used the opportunity to catch up with people across a whole number of um, agency groups. That includes, you know, bosses of both media agencies and creative agencies. And somebody... 
made the point that there were almost enough vacancies across the hold co's to staff a whole other hold co. Um, now, I thought, well, that'd be an interesting just process to have a look. So, um, yeah, I popped into LinkedIn and 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 you know, when I say hold co, so we talk about the the holding companies that that you know are kind of globally aligned and own you know creative agencies media agencies pr agencies etc so this this isn't completely comprehensive not least because seek is a bit harder to search for this information so this is just based on the numbers on linkedin um but yeah um the the, the group which seems to have the most roles at the moment, which probably also reflects its size, is the most open roles is WPP, 119 being advertised as we as we speak. Omnicom, 83. Dentsu, 81. Publicis, 54. IPG, 49. Havas, 21. Now, that's just in Australia. Um, so that you know that 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 that's a certainly a significant number. Whether it will be enough to staff a whole hold co, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Although, of course, not every role is necessarily being advertised right now. So, um, so yeah, but it certainly does suggest that um, there's an issue going on there because you know that means more more strain on the staff who are there. Uh, potentially, questions for for. Um, you know, marketers on whether they're actually getting the service they expect from their um, uh, their agencies if they are that stretched. So, um, yeah, look, you know, there's plenty of conversation, of course, about, you know, shortage of workers across the economy. And that definitely includes the marketing sector. Yeah, look, that's an interesting point you bring up about whether that could uh, staff a whole, whole co. Uh, what I've been hearing is there's a I guess a, a large amount of those vacancies are around the junior to middle management space and the senior people are still uh, not with a huge amount of vacancies around. So perhaps it's weighted more, not necessarily towards an industry sector, but more to one side of the experience uh, pile. But uh, Tim, I, I'd be interested to know what your thoughts are then of the ramifications of this uh, moving forward because, uh, you know, there's a quote in Best of the Week where you say anyone currently in the communications who hasn't seen their pay grow by at least 10% over the last uh, year or two should be asking themselves one question, why doesn't my employer want me to stay? Now, that's a good point and I I think a lot of people have gotten those pay rises and a few haven't, but... Do you think, especially in the economic climate where we're in at the moment, and that seems to be only going in one negative direction, do you think that the whole co's will be in a bit of strife soon in terms of the amount they're now paying, you know, a group of employees who have seen this uh, as a bit of an advantage? Well, I suppose there's a couple of things. Firstly, you know, Anyone is in a role who hasn't seen a pay rise, absolutely it would be mad not to ask ask for one, not least because of cost of living has, has risen so dramatically that just to stand still, um, you know, one needs to have a chunky pay rise. Um the reality for employers is that it's a lot cheaper to keep good people than it is to have to kind of recruit. So there's a pragmatic element to it. So yeah, there is, you know, and I, I you know, I guess when I, you know, asked that I wasn't even being really tongue in cheek when when I was saying people who've not been offered a big pay rise should be asking themselves why does my employer want me to leave because you know that there, there aren't 
many decent explanations beyond the fact that they're sending you a signal um so you know that they may genuinely want you to leave um <laughs> other, otherwise they probably will have done it um so maybe take the hint there but as you say that that it is against the backdrop of you know if there's not a recession a global recession then a lot of economists are wrong um you know all of the signals seem to be out there no one wants to shout you know fire in the crowded theatre etc um and you know one of the things we've always seen um when there's a downturn is it's particularly bad for the communication sector because it's very easy to switch advertising off as a as a flexible cost um which of course then 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 rattles through now hey look it does come with the caveat that there's some really weird things happening in the global economy including that the jobs market is so strong still so maybe there won't be a um, downturn or recession but um certainly all of the signals seem to be there's one possibly already underway in the us um you know the 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 uk is coming to a grinding halt um the china housing market has uh, probably already crashed um so it it kind of seems like wishful thinking to, to to think that we won't be affected. So, so I suppose if I worked somewhere, you know, in a big group in Australia, I quite like my job. I think I would lean far more into getting a pay rise and staying where I was than necessarily jumping out into the void right now, because, you know, I think there's going to be some intriguing months ahead yeah, that's uh, a really interesting point there, Tim. I think there'll be a lot of whole co's who are currently very keen on filling those positions, but also with a little bit of a uh, question mark over how long some of those positions will actually last. So maybe they can see that out and not have to fill as many as they've potentially got advertised at the moment. Well, that is it for today. We'd love to hear what you think of everything we've been talking about at letters at unmade. Dot media. That's letters at unmade.media. I'll be back tomorrow with Tuesday data tackling supermarket satisfaction. We've just talked about the economic situation at the moment. We're looking at that a little bit deeper in terms of what customers are thinking about their supermarket alternatives. Don't forget, if you want to support Unmade, you can become a paying member. Go to unmade.media to find out how. Today's podcast was produced with the usual enthusiastic support of Abe's Audio. See you next time. Total pep. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.